Hello, 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 know-it-alls, and welcome back to the Know-It-All podcast. I am your host, Riley Sue, and I am so excited to be joining y'all for another installment in our pursuit to know a little bit about everything. Last week, we covered the story of the lost white colony of Roanoke Island. Uh, that story is an eerie one, and I'll definitely be the first to admit that I had some weird dreams after I finished up the late night editing for it. Um, just a reminder that if we ever have stuff that's too creepy or is just like a little out of bounds for you, I've always got polls and a suggestion box up that are attached to the Spotify episodes, and you can always, always, always reach out to me via Instagram, um, uh, to give me feedback through comments or, you know, swiping up on my story. Um, don't forget to join in on the conversation. We've got a biography episode this week, which means that we've got another thicker and juicier episode, but I do want to make it clear that it's not part of the season two changes for us to have hour-long episodes consistently. Um, Sometimes it just happens that way and stories need to be told, but I am still shooting for a half hour to 45 minute show, unless of course you guys like the longer stuff and then um, we can transition a bit. Uh, Again, just let me know. I'll actually throw an Instagram poll up for that one on the day that this episode airs, so go ahead and swipe up on that. Let me know what you think if you're an early listener. Um, And like I said, it's a biography week, and if you've made it this far, you know it's Nikola Tesla, the 19th and 20th century inventor, immigrant, engineer, and pigeon lover is a man that many people echo the name of, but not many people know the story of. So who was Nikola Tesla, and how did he end up the name of Elon Musk's car brand? Let's go ahead and knock that one out right here at the top. Elon Musk is a billionaire South African apartheid Emmerlein Nepo baby that has not only committed crimes against humanity by naming his child some kind of alien cipher, but has also taken the name of Tesla and propelled it into a wholly new place. You start a sentence about Tesla and you'd probably be about 75% of the way through it before most people would realize that you're talking about the inventor rather than the car brand. Tesla Motors was founded in 2003 by Martin Eberhard and Mark Tarpening, and they named the company as a tribute to the legendary electrical engineer Nikola Tesla. Seven months later, Elon Musk became the company's largest shareholder, and I guess unlike Twitter, he liked the name of this company, so he kept it. The only reason Elon calls himself the founder of the company is due to a settled 2009 lawsuit between Musk, Eberhard, Tarpening, and a few other early members of the company, where they all decided that they could all call themselves the founders. Nikola Tesla, nor any of his relatives or ideas, have anything to do with that company or any of the things that they're up to. I also want to take a moment here to say that I'm going to be covering the details of Tesla's life, but I'm not going to be able to cover all of the details and information related to his inventions or what they do and how they work. For one thing, there's a shit ton of them. And for two, I don't really understand all of the um, technical things when it comes to electrical and mechanical engineering. Like, I'm a wonder at reading information and just spitting it back out at you, but there's a deeper level of understanding that I like to have for topics before I bring them to you guys on the pod, and I just can't reach that level with some of these things. So we're going to cover the big ones, and we'll talk about the really career-changing, prolific stuff, but I cannot cover every single invention. I mean, we're talking about a man who wrote more than 100,000 original documents and wrote in thousands of journals throughout his lifetime. So I think by the end of this, you'll agree that he's a complex and sometimes discomforting man, but he is one that we should remember and appreciate for his revolutionary ideas and creations. I also want to go ahead and throw in a little caveat that if you think I sound a little weird this week or you think the audio this week sounds a little different, you would be correct. 
Um, I sat down to record this episode and I realized that my cord, which goes to my soundboard, which goes to my microphone, you know, all of the technical stuff, my cord has gone out um, and it's not giving the feedback properly. And so I'm using a different mic. I also was approximately one third, maybe a quarter of the way through the episode whenever I realized that, um, you know, I had this technical error. So I have almost recorded half of this podcast already and I've been sitting here attempting to get it recorded for about an hour and a half already. So if my voice sounds a little hoarse, it's because I kind of already did this rodeo and I'm back at it again. But I'm dedicated to getting this episode done. I really love this episode. So let's go ahead and dig in. Before we begin with the story of Nikola Tesla's life, I want to open with a poem by a friend of Tesla, Robert Underwood Johnson, entitled In Tesla's Laboratory. Here in the dark what ghostly figures press, no phantom of the past, or grim or sad, no wailing spirit of woe, no specter clad, in white and wandering cloud, whose dumb distress, is that its crime it may never confess. No shape from the strewn sea, nor they add, the link of life and death, the tearless mad, that live nor die in dreary nothingness, but blessed spirits waiting to be born, thoughts to unlock the fettering chains of things the better time, the universal good. Their smile is like the joyous break of morn. How fair, how near, how wistfully they brood. Listen, that murmur is of angels' wings. Nikola Tesla was born in the village of Smiljan within the military frontier of the Austrian Empire in what is now Croatia. On July 10, 1856, his parents, Militant Tesla, an Eastern Orthodox priest, and Duke Amandic welcomed Nikola as their fourth child. Nikola would go on to credit his mother for the beginnings of his grand intelligence, stating, My mother was an inventor of the first order, and would, I believe, had achieved great things had she not been so remote from modern life and its multifold opportunities. Juka never received formal education, rather staying at home with her family and eventual five children. But her father, who had also been an Orthodox priest, had a talent for crafting tools to use around the house and mechanical appliances. Juka's father was also able to memorize Serbian epic poems, which led Nikola to credit his photographic or eidetic memory to his mother's genetics and influences. Like I mentioned before, Nikola, or Niko, was number four of five in the Tesla house. He had three sisters, Milka, Angelina, and Marisa, and an older brother named Dane, who was tragically killed in a horse-riding accident when Niko was only five years old. He began primary school in 1861, and then in 1862, the Tesla family moved to the village of Gospic, where Militon took a job as a parish priest. Nico completed primary school and middle school in Gospic, and like many intelligent children, he was often bored with his studies. In one article that I found written about him near the turn of the 20th century, he told a story about how he tried to invent a flying machine when he was 12 years old by using an umbrella, and his idea was that it would work if he at first jumped off of a high ledge or like a cliff. So that's what he tried to do. The umbrella didn't make for a very good propeller, of course, and he fell so badly that he had to be laid up in his bed for weeks. And while resting up in bed, Nicholas still had to maintain his schoolwork, and so this is where he really began to find an interest in mathematics. Here he came up with his lifelong idea that all mathematical issues and universal questions could be solved by the use of the number 3 and its powers. And this was the beginning of another lifelong constant for Nikola. He would often demonstrate an obsessiveness that confused and intrigued the people around him, an intensity of his personality that led to his greatest moments and his failures. Also throughout his childhood, Nico would later recall out-of-body experiences and visions of flashes of light that would transport him to places he'd never been or reveal answers to questions he had or problems he'd been trying to solve. 
Young Nico was intelligent, yes, he could memorize entire books, and he picked up new languages easily, but he also only slept a few hours a night, and he had wild and seemingly outlandish ideas. One such idea came after the young boy saw an engraving of Niagara Falls in Canada. He told his uncle Joseph that one day he'd harness the power of the falls by placing a wheel under the water. And certainly his uncle said something to the effect of, like, sure you will, bud, and tasseled Tesla's dark hair. But 30 years later, Nikola Tesla would go on to do that very thing with turbines placed under Niagara Falls. Nikola moved again in 1870 to Karlovac to attend high school at the Higher Real Gymnasium. At Higher Real, the young man found success in academics, and he was able to perform integral calculus in his head, which made all of his teachers think that he was cheating. He finished what should have been a standard four-year high school term in just three years, graduating in 1873. Later, Nikola would write that he became interested in electricity through demonstrations by his physics professor. He noted that the demonstrations of this, quote, mysterious phenomenon made him want to, quote, know more about this wonderful force, end quote. But that would all have to wait, because shortly after graduating and returning to his family in Smilyan, Nikola contracted cholera and was bedridden for nine months, getting near death multiple times. In one of these times that was extremely desperate, Nikola's father Militin promised to send his son to the best engineering school that he could if his son would just recover from this illness. This was a breakthrough moment, not only for Nikola Tesla's life, but also for the relationship between he and his father. Before this, the elder Tesla had his heart set on his son following in the familial tradition of entering the priesthood. The young man recovered and his dream became a reality, but again, it would have to wait. The military came knocking for Nico to enroll in his mandatory military service, and he had no plans on answering the door. Nikola evaded enlistment by running away to the southeast of Laika, near Grakak. There he explored the mountains, and he lived close with nature while dressed like a regional hunter. Nikola would later say that this time with nature made him stronger both mentally and physically. He also read many books during this time away from his regular life, and he had a particular fondness for Mark Twain, going so far as to say that his books helped him to miraculously recover from the cholera. Tesla finally began classes at the Austrian Polytechnic School at Graz to study engineering in 1875 on a military frontier scholarship. Soon after arriving to school, Nikola set himself apart from his peers, stating that he worked hard and earned the highest grades that were possible. At the Polytechnic School in Graz, Nikola's fascination for electricity grew as he witnessed detailed lectures and examples presented by his professor, Jakob Poschel. During one lecture, Poschel showed the class a new Graham dynamo that by using direct electrical current could be used as both a motor and a generator. After watching the machine for a while and talking back and forth with his professor, young Tesla suggested that it might be possible to do away with the connection points on the machine that were sparking and inefficient. This, his professor said, amused at the idea, would be like trying to build a perpetual motion machine and not even a star pupil like Tesla could achieve such a thing. But Nikola knew that there was a solution to this problem the alternating electrical current. It was just that no one had ever thought of, let alone tried to achieve the idea. Tesla later wrote about his feelings in the moment, quote, In attacking the problem again, I almost regretted that the struggle was soon to end. I had so much energy to spare. When I undertook the task, it was not with a resolve such as men often make. With me, it was a sacred vow, a question of life and death. I knew that I would perish if I failed. Now I felt the battle was won. Back in the deep recesses of the brain was the solution, but I could not yet give it outward expression." End quote. Tesla was obsessed with this thought and making it concrete for the next six years, thinking about electromagnetic fields and a hypothetical motor powered by alternating current that would and should work if only Tesla could do it. 
The young genius's mind again obsessed over an idea, and he was soon unable to focus on his schoolwork. Nicholas' grades began to spiral, and professors at the university told his father that his working and sleeping habits were dangerous. But Nicola and his intense style didn't just turn back into schoolwork. Rather, he became a gambling addict, lost all of his tuition money, dropped out of school, and suffered a nervous breakdown. After he left school, Nicola did not contact his family, and he sort of went off the radar in a sense. There were rumors amongst his classmates that he'd drowned in a nearby river, but when one of them ran into him in a nearby town, all of that was put to rest. That friend also informed Tesla's family of the encounter. It turned out that Tesla had been working in Maribor in Slovenia as a draftsman for 60 florins per month. In March of 1879, Militon finally made contact with his son and begged for him to return to Prague to finish school. Tesla returned to Gospic late that month, but was soon deported for not possessing a residency permit. Millet and Tesla died the next month due to an unspecified illness, and for the remainder of the year, Nikola taught classes at his old school in Gospic. In January of 1880, two of Tesla's uncles gathered enough money to help him leave for school in Prague. He arrived too late to enroll in classes at Charles Ferdinand University, plus he was missing the prerequisite courses of Greek and Czech. Tesla did attend lectures in philosophy at the university while he was working as a course auditor, but of course did not participate in the courses. Nikola then moved to Budapest, Hungary in 1881 to work under Tivadar Pusakas at a telegraph company, the Budapest Telephone Exchange. Once he arrived, though, Nikola realized that the company was still under construction and was not yet fully functional, so he took a job as a draftsman for the Central Telegraph Office instead. After a few months, the Budapest Telephone Exchange became functional, and Tesla was selected as chief electrician. In 1882, Pusakis got Tesla another job in Paris with the Continental Edison Company. Nikola began at the company when it was brand new to the industry, installing indoor incandescent lighting all around the city on a large scale. The company worked in several subdivisions around Paris, and Tesla worked at the Société Électrique Edison, which oversaw the ivory sur seine suburb in the city. Here he gained a plethora of practical experience and knowledge in electrical engineering. Management noticed his advanced knowledge and soon had him designing and building improved versions of generating dynamos and motors. They also sent him out to troubleshoot issues at other Edison utilities that were being built around France and Germany. It was on one of these trips in 1883 to Strasbourg, France, that outside of his work hours, Nikola constructed and completed his first induction motor. A couple years later, in 1884, Tesla sailed for the United States in New York City, arriving with four cents in his pocket, a few poems that he had written, and calculations for his flying machine. He began working in June of that year at the Machine Works Division of Edison Machine Works on Manhattan's Lower East Side. The conditions were discouraging to Tesla, the space being an overcrowded shop filled with several hundred machinists, laborers, managing staff, and 20 field engineers, all struggling with the task to bring widespread electricity utility to the city. Much like his position and responsibilities in Paris, here Nikola was responsible for troubleshooting and improving the installations and generators. Though their relationship and correspondence has been greatly inflated by time and history, it's very possible that Tesla and company figurehead Thomas Edison only met a couple of times. One of those times was noted in Tesla's autobiography, where, after he'd stayed up all night to repair the damaged dynamos on the ocean liner SS Oregon, he ran into Edison and another colleague. One of the two men commented that Tesla, the company's Parisian, was of course the one to be out all night. After Nikola informed them that he'd been up all night repairing the organ, Edison said to the other man that Nikola was, quote, a damned good man, end quote. One of the projects that was assigned to Tesla was to design and develop an arc lamp-based street lighting system. 
Arc lighting was the most popular type of street lighting at the time, but it required a high amount of voltage and was incompatible with the low voltage system that was being used by the Edison company, and this was causing the company to lose contracts in some of its cities. Tesla had only been working at the machine works company for around six months when he quit, and whatever event it was that caused him to leave is not entirely clear. It could have been over a bonus that he didn't receive, or maybe that the system he'd been working on was shelved and not used. And there are a few reasons as to why the designs may have not been used, possibly because of technical improvements in the lighting systems as a whole, or because of a deal that Edison made with another arc lighting company. As for the unpaid bonus, though, Tesla wrote in his autobiography that a manager at Edison Machine Works offered him a $50,000 bonus, $1.6 million today, to design 24 different types of standard machines. But according to Tesla, it all turned out to be a practical joke. Later tellings of the story have Thomas Edison himself offering the bonus and then rescinding the deal by telling Tesla, quote, you don't understand our American humor, end quote. The story loses a bit of its practicality, though, when you consider that the machine works manager was stingy with payments and the company didn't have access to that amount of money anyway. Tesla's own diary from the time only has one comment on what happened to end his employment, scrawled across two pages that were meant for the dates of December 7th, 1884 to January 4th, 1885. He wrote, quote, goodbye to the Edison machine works, end quote. After leaving the Edison company, Tesla began working toward patenting his arc lighting system, possibly the exact same one that he worked on at Edison that had been shelved. In March of 1885, Nikola met with a patent lawyer that introduced him to two businessmen, Robert Lane and Benjamin Vail. The two men agreed to finance an arc lighting manufacturing and utility company in Tesla's name, the Tesla Electric Light and Manufacturing Company. Nikola worked for the remainder of the year at improving the DC generator and obtaining his first patents in the U.S., as well as building and installing the system in Rahway, New Jersey. Tesla's new system was noticed by his peers and press in the technical sphere, and the press commented on the system's advanced technical features. This was all exciting and it felt like a quick progression in Tesla's career as an engineer, but it was actually another false start for the almost 30-year-old man. The investors he'd made contact with had little interest in his ideas for new types of alternating current motors and other electrical equipment, and after the utility was up and running in 1886, the men decided that the manufacturing side of the business was too competitive, and they'd rather just run a simple electric company. They formed a new utility company, abandoning Tesla and leaving the inventor penniless. Tesla even lost all of the patents he had graded too because he had assigned them to the company in exchange for stocks. He again had to work various jobs, taking one doing electrical repairs and then eventually as a ditch digger for $2 a day. In late 1886, Nikola Tesla met Alfred S. Brown and Charles Fletcher Peck. The two men had experience setting up companies and promoting inventions for financial gain, and so based on Tesla's new ideas for electrical equipment, they agreed to back him financially and handle the filing of his patents. Together they formed the Tesla Electrical Company in April of 1887, with an agreement that profits from generated patents would go one-third to Tesla, one-third to Brown and Peck, and one-third to fund development. They set up a company laboratory for Tesla at 89 Liberty Street in Manhattan. By 1887, Tesla had developed an induction motor that ran on alternating current, using a polyphase current that generated a rotating magnetic field to turn the motor. Finally, the ideas that Nikola had always felt moving in the back of his mind had come through, and he said on the subject, quote, The motors I built there were exactly as I imagined them. I made no attempt to improve the design, but merely reproduced the pictures as they appeared to my vision, and the operation was always as I expected, end quote. This design was patented in May of 1888 and was a simple self-starting machine that didn't require a commutator, which was the area of the generator that Tesla had seen sparking in the example from his professor. 
so the sparking was entirely avoided, as was the maintenance of having to replace and service mechanical brushes within a traditional motor. After Peck and Brown got the motor patented, they set out to getting the motor publicized. They began with independent testing to verify the motor's functionality, followed by press releases sent to technical publications. Tesla demonstrated his AC motor on May 16, 1888 at the American Institute of Electrical Engineers. And afterward, engineers working for Westinghouse Electric and Manufacturing Company reported to George Westinghouse that Tesla had an operable AC motor and related power system, something that Westinghouse desperately needed for the alternating current system that he was already marketing. Westinghouse looked into getting his own patent on a similar commutator-less motor, but ultimately decided that Tesla's design and patent would likely control the market. So in July of 1888, Brown and Peck negotiated a licensing deal with Westinghouse for Tesla's polyphase induction motor and transformer designs for $60,000 in cash and stock, as well as a royalty of $2.50 per AC horsepower produced by each motor. Westinghouse also hired Tesla for a year contract as a consultant for the Pittsburgh lab, coming on for the fee of $2,000 a month, equal to around $65,000 a month today. And throughout his year in Pittsburgh, Tesla helped to create an alternating current system to power the city's streetcar system. He found this period frustrating, though, because of conflicts with other Westinghouse engineers over how to best use the AC power. They settled on a 60-cycle AC system that Tesla proposed, but soon found that it wouldn't work for streetcars because Tesla's motor, which I think it was only compatible with that system, I'm not entirely sure, um, but it could only run at one constant speed. Streetcars obviously need to stop and go to let people off and on, so unless people could jump on and off at a fast-moving tram or deal with one moving so slow that you could walk onto it, uh, the system that they had come up with was a bust. The engineers and Tesla ended up using a DC traction motor for the streetcars instead. At the time when Nikola demonstrated his induction motor and Westinghouse agreed to license the patent, there was an extreme competition between the existing electrical companies and engineers. Three of the biggest names, Westinghouse, Edison, and the Thomson-Houston Electric Company, were trying to grow in businesses that were extremely costly to run, but at the same time, the three companies were constantly trying to financially undercut one another. From this competition, there was even a War of Currents propaganda campaign going on, with Edison Electric claiming that their direct current system was safer and better than the Tesla-Westinghouse alternating current system. Competing in a cutthroat market like this one meant that Westinghouse didn't have the cash or engineering resources to help develop Tesla's motor and polyphase system. George Westinghouse once recalled Thomas Edison telling the people, quote, Direct current was like a river flowing peacefully to the sea, while alternating current was like a torrent rushing violently over a precipice. Imagine that. Why, they even had a professor named Harold Brown who went around talking to audiences and electrocuting dogs and horses right on the stage to show how dangerous alternating current was, end quote. The tide truly seemed to turn on alternating current when in August of 1890, the topic of the first person being put to death in the electrical chair came up. Harold Brown succeeded in illegally purchasing a used Westinghouse generator and tried to prove once and for all the extreme danger of alternating current. Convicted axe murderer William Kemmler died horribly in what was described as, quote, an awful spectacle, far worse than hanging, end quote. And the technique was ultimately dubbed Westinghousing. Within two years of signing Tesla's contract, Westinghouse Electric was in hot water. The financial panic of 1890 caused investors to rescind their loans to the company, and the sudden shortage of cash caused the company to refinance their debts. The new lenders demanded that Westinghouse cut back on excessive spending that was going towards acquisition of other companies, research, and patents, and the royalty agreement on the Tesla contract. 
At this time, the Tesla motor had been unsuccessful and it was stuck in development, and even though operable examples of the motor were rare and polyphase systems needed to run them were even rarer, Westinghouse was still paying Tesla $15,000 a year guaranteed royalty. In early 1891, George Westinghouse explained his financial situation to Tesla very bluntly, stating if he didn't meet the demands of his lenders, he would no longer be in control of Westinghouse Electric, and Tesla would have to, quote, deal with the bankers, end quote, to try and collect his future royalties. This was a no-brainer for Tesla, and he agreed to release the company from the royalty clause in the contract. With the money Nikola had made from licensing his AC patents, he was independently wealthy and he began pursuing his own interests. In 1889, he moved out of the Liberty Street lab that Peck and Brown had rented for him and began working in a series of other workshops and laboratories around Manhattan for the next 12 or so years. These labs included the 175 Grand Street Lab, the 4th floor of 33 to 34 South 5th Avenue, and the 6th and 7th floors of 46 and 48 Houston Street, where Tesla hired staff and conducted some of his most significant work. In the summer of 1889, Tesla traveled to the Exposition Universelle in Paris and learned of Heinrich Hertz's 1886-1889 experiments that proved the existence of electromagnetic radiation, including radio waves. While repeating and expanding the experiments, Tesla attempted to power a Roomcroft coil with a high-speed alternator that he'd been developing. He found that the high-frequency current overheated the coil's iron core and melted the insulation between the two windings of the coil. To fix this, Tesla came up with his oscillating transformer, with an air gap used as insulation instead of material. Later, this creation would be called a Tesla coil and would be used to produce high-voltage, low-current, high-frequency, alternating-current electricity. On July 30, 1891, at the age of 35, Nikola Tesla became a naturalized citizen of the United States. That same year, he patented his Tesla coil design. Things were beginning to change for Tesla, and in spite of all the bad press his alternating current and Westinghouse had received after the execution in New York, the pair won the bid for lighting the 1893 Chicago Columbian Exposition, which was that year's World's Fair. Up against the newly formed General Electric Company, which had taken over the Edison Company, Westinghouse was able to undercut GE's $1 million bid by half. This was because most of GE's expenses would have gone to the copper wire that was necessary for running a DC system. Westinghouse's bid proposed using a more efficient, cost-effective AC system. The exposition opened on May 1, 1893, and that evening, President Grover Cleveland pushed a button and 100,000 incandescent lamps suddenly illuminated the fairground's neoclassical buildings. The City of Light, as it was called, was the world of Tesla, Westinghouse, and 12 brand-new 1,000-horsepower AC generator units located in the fair's Hall of Machinery. In the nearby Great Hall of Electricity, the Tesla polyphase system of alternating current power generation and transmission was proudly displayed. For the 27 million people who attended the fair, it was overwhelmingly clear that the future of power would be alternating current. The next few years of Tesla's life were filled with working on various projects and giving presentations on his findings. He gave demonstrations on the safety of alternating current by allowing electricity to flow through him, he used his AC current to light wireless gas discharge lamps, created a steam-powered oscillating generator, consulted on the Niagara Falls and Buffalo power projects, and formed the Nikola Tesla Company in 1895. Also in 1895, in the early morning of March 13th, at the South Fifth Avenue building that housed Tesla's lab, there was a fire. It began in the basement of the building and was so intense that Tesla's fourth-floor lab burned and collapsed through to the second floor. The fire, of course, set back Tesla's projects, but it also destroyed his early notes, research materials, models, and demonstration pieces, including many of the things that had been displayed in Chicago in 1893. 
Tesla told the New York Times on the matter, quote, I am in too much grief to talk. What can I say? End quote. After the fire, Tesla moved to the 46 and 48 East Houston Street Lab and rebuilt on the 6th and 7th floor. Also around this time, Tesla began investigating what he called radiant energy of invisible kinds after he noticed damage on film in his laboratory from previous experiments. Tesla may have inadvertently captured an x-ray image predating by a few weeks Wilhelm Rotgen's discovery of x-rays. Tesla did it when he was trying to take a photo of his boyhood inspiration and adult friend, Mark Twain, while Twain was illuminated by a Jessler tube, which is an early type of gas discharge tube. The only thing that he captured in the image, though, was the metal locking screw on the camera lens, which feels like the historic and scientific equivalent of leaving the lens cap on. I mean, like, think about how absolutely baller it would be if the first successful x-ray had been a portrait of Mark Twain. Bag fumbled. But Tesla continued to experiment with x-rays and took images of his own hands and his feet, and he also began to experiment with radio technology, demonstrating a radio-controlled boat to the public at Madison Square Garden. He tried to sell this idea as a remote-controlled torpedo to the United States military, but they showed little interest. It was through his interest in radio and wireless lighting that Tesla came up with his idea for wireless transmission of messages or power. From the 1890s through 1906, Tesla spent a great deal of his time and fortune on a series of projects trying to develop the transmission of electrical power without wires. This was an expansion on his previous idea of using coils to transmit power, and Nikola thought that this would be a way to not only transmit large amounts of power around the world, but also, like I said, send and receive messages. So Tesla worked on his ideas for wireless transmission and eventually proposed it to J.P. Morgan, this idea for a wireless globe. And in 1901, Morgan put up $150,000 to build a giant transmission tower called the Wardenclyffe Tower, and it was to be built in Shoreham, New York, 100 miles east of the city on the north shore of Long Island. And Tesla gave this quote on the matter. Quote, as soon as completed, it will be possible for a businessman in New York to dictate instructions and have them instantly appear in type at his office in London or elsewhere. He will be able to call up from his desk and talk to any telephone subscriber on the globe without any change whatever in existing equipment. An inexpensive instrument not bigger than a watch will enable its bearer to hear anywhere on sea or land, music or song, the speech of a political leader, the address of an eminent man of science, or the sermon of an eloquent clergyman, delivered in some other place, however distant. In the same manner, any picture, character, drawing, or print can be transferred from one to another place. Millions of such instruments can be operated from but one plant of this kind." End quote. At the time of Tesla coming up with these ideas, there was no feasible way to wirelessly transmit communication signals over long distances, let alone large amounts of power. And to us, these ideas may seem simple, but in the late 19th, early 20th century, they were far-fetched and had no previous technology that the new tech could be built off of. He's basically describing email and text messaging and Apple Watches, but he had no internet or even a wireless phone system to build any of this off of. Tesla hired Stanford White to design the building for the Wardenclyffe Tower, but soon after construction, it became apparent that the project was going to run out of money before it was even finished. Tesla went to Morgan for more money, but came up fruitless, and in the meantime, other investors were rushing to give their money to Guglielmo Marconi for his radio system. In December of 1901, Marconi successfully sent a signal from England to Newfoundland, beating Tesla in the race to wireless communication. Nikola grumbled and cursed at the fact that the Italian was using 17 of Tesla's patents to get the work done, but litigation over the matter eventually favored Marconi and the commercial damage was done. 
the Italian inventor was credited with the creation of the radio and became rich. Wardenclyffe Tower was suddenly old news, and over the next five years, Tesla would write to Morgan 50 times, pleading for and demanding additional funding to complete the construction on Wardenclyffe. As more and more money poured to Marconi and the press began to turn against Tesla's project, some began to claim it was a hoax. The project came to a halt in 1905, and in 1906, Tesla experienced another possible nervous breakdown. Tesla left the Houston Street Lab and fully moved his operation to Wardenclyffe, eventually having to mortgage the property in order to cover debts accrued at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel. These debts eventually amounted to $20,000, around $580,000 today. He lost the property in foreclosure in 1915, and in 1917, the tower was demolished by the new owner to make the land more viable as real estate. After Wardenclyffe closed, Tesla continued to write to Morgan, and after he passed away, Tesla began writing to J.P. Morgan's son, Jack, trying to get further funding for the project. In 1906, Tesla opened offices at 156 Broadway in Manhattan, trying to raise money to develop and market his patents. He went on to have offices at Metropolitan Life Tower from 1910 to 1914, rented for a few months at the Woolworth Building, and then moved out because he couldn't afford the rent. Tesla then moved to an office space at 8 West 40th Street from 1915 to 1925. After this move to 8 West 40th, he was effectively bankrupt. At this time, most of his patents had run out, and he was having trouble with new inventions that he was trying to develop. The remainder of Tesla's professional life was spent attempting to perfect his bladeless turbine and making it into the press for fantastical claims like creating a death ray, working on designing a camera that could project thoughts, and other incredible claims. Almost none of these turned out to be true, but they did work for getting the inventor back into magazines and conversation. Like I said earlier, he'd run up quite a bill at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel, but this was because he'd lived there for a very long period of time. He then moved to the St. Regis Hotel in 1922, and after this followed a pattern of moving into a different hotel every few years and leaving unpaid bills behind. He began feeding the hotel window and even nursed the injured birds back to health. Tesla told a story of a certain white pigeon that was injured and visited him daily. He spent over $2,000, close to $35,000 now, to care for the bird, including a device that he built to support her and keep her comfortable while her broken wing and leg healed. On the matter, he said, quote, I've been feeding pigeons, thousands of them, for years. But there was one, a beautiful bird, pure white with light gray tips on its wings. That one was different. It was a female. I only had to wish and call her and she would come flying to me. I loved that pigeon as a man loves a woman, and she loved me. As long as I had her, there was a purpose to my life. End quote. Tesla's unpaid bills and complaints about the mess made by his pigeons led to him being evicted from the St. Regis in 1923. He was also forced to move from a few other hotels through the next 10 years. He moved into the Hotel New Yorker in 1934, and his rent was being paid by Westinghouse Electric and Manufacturing in addition to a $125 stipend a month, around $2,700 today. How this arrangement came to be is not entirely clear. Several sources claim that Westinghouse was concerned, or maybe he even been warned, about potential bad publicity over the fact that his former star inventor was living in such impoverished conditions. Um, but the payment system has been described as being disguised as a consulting fee to get around Tesla's aversion to accepting charity. No matter how it came to be or how it was described to him, though, Westinghouse would provide funds for Tesla's living for the remainder of the genius's life. One night, near the end of his life, Tesla claimed that the white pigeon visited him through an open window at his hotel and he believed that the bird had come to tell him she was dying. 
He saw, quote, two powerful beams of light, end quote, in the bird's eyes, and he later said, yes, it was a real light, a powerful, dazzling, blinding light, a light more intense than I had ever produced by the most powerful lamps in my laboratory, end quote. The bird died in Tesla's arms, and Tesla claimed that in that moment, he knew he had finished his life's work. In the fall of 1937, when he was 81 years old, after midnight one evening, Nikola Tesla left the Hotel New Yorker to make his regular walk to the library and cathedral to feed the pigeons. While crossing a street a few blocks from the hotel, Tesla was unable to dodge a moving taxi cab and was thrown to the ground. His back was severely injured and three ribs broken in the accident. The full extent of his injuries, though, were never known, because Nikola refused to consult a doctor and never fully recovered. On January 7, 1943, Nikola Tesla died alone at 86 years old in room 3327 of the Hotel New Yorker. His body was found by maid Alice Monaghan whenever she entered Tesla's room, ignoring the Do Not Disturb sign that he had placed on the door two days earlier. A medical examination concluded that Tesla's cause of death had been coronary thrombosis, a type of heart attack. Two days after his death, the FBI ordered the alien property custodian to seize Tesla's belongings. The APC, who dealt with property belonging to enemies of the United States during the World Wars, then called on an MIT professor to analyze the Tesla items. After a three-day investigation, the professor's report concluded that there was nothing which would constitute a hazard amongst the items. On January 10, 1943, New York City Mayor Fiorello LaGuardia read a eulogy written by Slovene-American author Louis Adamak live over the WNYC radio while violin pieces Ave Maria and Tamo Delco were played in the background. Two days later, on January 12, 2,000 people attended a state funeral for Tesla at the Cathedral of St. John the Divine in Manhattan. After the services, Tesla's body was taken to the Ferncliff Cemetery in Ardsley, New York, where it was later cremated. The following day, a second service was conducted by prominent priests at the Trinity Chapel in New York City. At the time of his passing, Nikola Tesla died poor and feeling forgotten, no longer at the height of his fame or regularly filing patents, and with his white pigeon gone, his life had been full of wild experiences and breakthroughs, but it was now over. He was a polyglot, speaking eight languages, Serbo-Croatian, Czech, English, French, German, Hungarian, Italian, and Latin. He obtained around 300 patents worldwide for his inventions, though there are some patents of his that are unaccounted for and have been discovered in patent archives. He was a lifelong bachelor who once stated that he thought he could never be worthy enough for a woman, though this tune changed later when he began saying that he thought women were trying to outdo men. Nikola only allowed himself a few close friends, among them Robert Underwood Johnson, who wrote the poem that I read at the beginning, Mark Twain, and Francis Marion Crawford. He was asocial and would often seclude himself in his work, but when he did engage socially, people spoke fondly of their time with him. I don't have a psychology degree or really a psych background at all, and I'm honestly not a fan of trying to retroactively diagnose people through history or through what has lasted on record about them. But a lot of people in a lot of places will state that Tesla showed signs of obsessive-compulsive disorder and that he was potentially autistic. I mean, he was obsessed with cleanliness and was what you could probably describe as a germaphobe. In his later years, he became obsessed with the number three again, and it took form in shaking hands, washing his own hands. Everything had to be done in a set of three. He had to be served meals with 18 napkins on the table, and he would count steps between places that he walked. He also said that he had an extreme sensitivity to sounds, an acute sense of sight, and eventually wrote that he had, quote, a violent aversion against the earrings of women, end quote, and, quote, the sight of a pearl would almost give me a fit, end quote. 
Tesla's deep disgust and upset at appearance extended beyond womenly accessories. He was often quick to criticize clothing or hygiene, and on several occasions he sent a subordinate home to change clothes. <laughs> Even further, when Thomas Edison died in 1931, Tesla contributed the only negative opinion to the New York Times, stating, quote, He had no hobby, cared for no sort of amusement of any kind, and lived in utter disregard of the most elementary rules of hygiene. His method was inefficient in the extreme, for an immense ground had to be covered to get anything at all unless blind chance intervened. And, at first, I was almost a sorry witness of his doings, knowing that just a little theory and calculation would have saved him 90% of the labor. But he had a veritable contempt for book learning and mathematical knowledge, trusting himself entirely to his inventor's instinct and practical American sense." End quote. In the end, Nikola Tesla needs to be remembered for all his contributions to where we've been and where we've arrived in terms of technology in the world. His achievements were awesome, but incomplete. He was a tortured and twisted man who could be nasty in the press, but also possessed so much compassion that he spent thousands on nursing his favorite pigeon back to health. He traveled around the world and lived so many different lives before reaching his peak, but just like all stars, he burned bright and he burned fast. By the end of his life, he didn't know the impact and effect that he had on the world. I mean, hell, I would go so far as to say the world didn't know the impact that he'd had. His life and his story show you that even for arguably the most brilliant mind in history, innovation and creation can't find success in a vacuum. And if Nikola thought Marconi was coming for his brand, I would love what he has to say about Elon. Oh, y'all. I am... I won. Nikola Tesla's hot. If you didn't realize that yet, if you haven't peeked over to Instagram yet, go take a look. My man's fine. He's kind of an asshole sometimes, but aren't we all? Um, I know I'm the biggest asshole. Uh, but yeah, my man's fine. Um, I loved getting to learn all this information about him. I can't wait to just like spew this at anyone who ever wants to talk about Elon Musk because I don't want to talk about him. I mean, I'm cool if you guys are cool with him, but like, I don't know. He just annoys me. His forehead's too big. And he's even had, like, hairline surgery. Anyway, um, I only have, like, really one, maybe two recommendations for you this week. Um, number one, biggest one, is go to the movies. I feel like we are in a moment in time right now where there are so many good films in theaters right now. We've got Barbie, we've got Little Mermaid, Oppenheimer, Haunted Mansion, Mission Impossible, No Hard Feelings. Um, all kinds of things. I, those are only the ones that I can think of off the top of my head, too. I mean, that's, I just named, what, like, seven things? Uh, I guess also, though, make sure that you're staying up to date with the terms of the SAG and WGA strikes, because, you know, we want to make sure we're not crossing the picket line if they're calling for a boycott of streaming or movies. Uh, we, don't, we don't do that around here. But they haven't asked for all of that, as far as I know, quite yet. So you're still free to enjoy all of the things. Go and get you some popcorn. Uh, enjoy Margot Robbie being just absolutely adorable. I also, though, want to recommend a little cheaper option, a little more cost-effective. Just try a new snack for yourself. Go out and find a new snack, find a new treat. Maybe, you know, maybe a pre-made treat isn't your thing. Maybe you need to try a new recipe, and that's cool too. But, like, I'm talking, like, something, a little indulgence, you know? I, I know it's been summertime, so we've all been running around and doing all kinds of things. 
but it's just nice to take a break and do something that's, you know, just for you. Try something new just for the purpose of it being for you. You deserve it. Don't forget to treat yourself and fill your own cup while you're out doing all of the social and summer things and activities. Um, you know, I want, I feel like we're always like, oh, get cozy, take care of yourself in the winter, but you're doing so much social work and so much like social action in the summertime. Don't forget to take care of yourself. Also wear sunscreen. It's important. <laughs> um, I think this is where I'm going to cut it off though, guys. I know that audio this week is a little rough. So if you've made it this far, <sighs> queens, icons, I love you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Top of the class. Summa cum laude right there. Oh my God. Bless up. Um, I, I gotta call it, guys. I have nothing else to say, and I don't want you guys to have to listen to this any longer than you have to. Um, goodbye. I hope you'll join me next week in the pursuit to know a little bit about everything. Please like, follow the pod everywhere, comment on the Instagram, share the pod with a friend. That's how we grow the most. Be sure to check out the polls and stories to give feedback. But most importantly, y'all, stay safe out there. Until next time, thanks.